electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the great debate over your money, whether it's time to rotate once again into so-called stay-at-home stocks. Some are saying the answer is yes. We debate that with our investment committee this hour. And joining me today are Josh Brown, Pete Najarian, Tiffany McGee is the CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors. Jenny Harrington's the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Let's go to the wall, check stocks. We are higher across the board. Tech is the best performing sector this week, although not today. You are having a little bit of a ramp here. So, Pete, you know, Carl said right before we came on the air, we've got a little bit of a progression now towards stimulus, but mm-hmm. we've also got this virus right. and these cases that are exploding to deal with, too. So what does it mean to you? What do you do? Well, well, these two headlines have been there for a while now, Scott. It seems like every day we come in and those are the two topics, right? We're looking at the vaccine and the possibility of how that's getting rolled out and how that's affecting those with the virus and so forth. But also, we've been waiting on this. Think how long we've been waiting on this stimulus package and they've been negotiating back and forth and it feels like it's been forever. Um, And I think when we start to see some of those positives, I think the markets are gonna react. Obviously yesterday, the reaction was to look back over and be more concerned about what was going on with the virus itself. So I think the opportunities are out there, Scott. I like the names that have been working of late, biotech being one of those, semiconductors being another one. So I think there's a lot of different areas, materials as well. There are parts of the market that I think have been working. I think they'll continue to work. And obviously, depending on the news itself, that's going to play out for for what other areas of the marketplace are going to be able to react. But uh, I think right now you can stick with those areas, including energy, to the upside. Well, Tiff, you know, one of the central questions in the way we lead the show off today is whether you go back to what worked before. And that's really what Kramer has given us from last night's Mad Money, which I wanted to kick out today with all of you because I think it's an interesting way to sort of discuss where we are. By the way, congratulations on your new firm. That's big news for you. Thank you so uh, and much, I know Scott. you're so thrilled Thank about you. that. We are for you as well. Thank so Jim you. Cramer said the Thank following you. on Mad Money, okay? Quote, the recovery stocks mm-hmm. are handing the baton back to the lockdown winners because lockdown is where we're headed. The market's saying the good news on the vaccine is baked in, so it's time to focus on the bad news of the totally out-of-control pe- uh, pandemic. After weeks of focusing on the vaccine, the good news is old news. Now the outbreak is front and center. So what do we do with that? Yes. So, you know, again, uh, um, I love Jim, but uh, I respectfully disagree. You know, uh, I I think that we have um, a really interesting situation where we have a ton of data. If this was any other year, we'd be sitting here, um, you know, just a few short, um, you know, days before Christmas trying to, you know, predict what's going to happen in the markets. But now we know. We are we were in a global pandemic. We're coming out of that. 
we have a vaccine that's going to be in full distribution within, um, you know, six, six-ish months. And so we have these data points that we can use and leverage. Um, I don't believe there's this kind of, you know, swinging back from, you know, open stocks to stay-at-home stocks. We're looking for opportunities. We're looking for companies that we're able to, you know, kind of weather the storm and that we think will continue to do well. We're not kind of going back and forth between that stay-at-home open trade. Okay, so you you use the analogy of, you know, the, the, the storms, and, and that's kind of where I wanted to go, Josh, because I feel like, okay, the, the eye of the storm has passed over us in the spring, but the backside of this Category 5 has a lot of strength to it, and it's going to do a lot of damage to a lot of people between now and when we can all have access to the vaccine. What does that mean to the stock market then? I think Tiffany made the right point, which is that nobody should really be doing this like every week, like, oh, it's a vaccine week oh no, it's a work from anywhere week. Like I, I just, I think that's bad investing. Um, I can't imagine it leading to a P&L that like makes anybody smile. Um, so I think the approach of looking for good businesses that are going to weather this, and in some cases are discounted because of this, and in other cases are seeing an acceleration in their, in their business as a result of this, like look for those types of situations and just be an investor. I don't think you know from week to week what's going to outweigh what in the mind of uh, the, the public consciousness and therefore which stocks are going to go up or down. I think it's, a, I think it's like a, not a, a great game for people to be playing. But, but if you look at you know, the, the so-called stay-at-home trade, Josh, the Zooms and the crowd strikes, which you know, you're in yes. some of these names and you, and you have added to them along the way, the DocuSigns, Okta, Shopify, these are the ones that I'm talking about. In, as it relates to what Kramer's talking about, PayPal, Peloton, Netflix, Teladoc, I'm Amazon, not, Adobe, Twilio. Yeah, I'm not in. I'm not in. I'm not in almost any of those stocks. Um, I, and I definitely, I definitely have not been adding to Peloton. I'm not in those stocks. Let me let me just tell you what I'm seeing. The market is super healthy overall. We talked last week about Ralph Akinpora saying, you know, rotation is the lifeblood of a bull market. We're still in that scenario, and what we're seeing now is some really interesting dispersion between stocks that prior to the last couple of weeks, Judge, were trading in lockstep. And dispersion is healthy. So look, Apple's moving higher, but Facebook's moving lower. Microsoft and Amazon are sideways. That's great to see. They're not doing the same thing each day, up, down. Now look today, airlines down, cruises crushed, but casinos up. So that in-out nonsense is not actually working anyway. Peloton looks great. Zoom is stalling out. Those stocks were trading in lockstep when we were having those vaccine on, vaccine off days. And now that's not happening. Square and PayPal are near all-time highs. But then look at the banks. They're giving nothing back. They're consolidating their gains. The regionals look good. Large cap looks good. Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs. So why are PayPal and, and, and Wells Fargo both working at the same time? Because those correlations are breaking and dispersion is starting to happen. And that's what you want to see. You don't want to see red team, blue team. That's nonsensical and it never lasts. And just think back. We were doing this show in 2011 when Gartman was launching on-off ETFs. We laughed at it then. It's still stupid nine years later. I just want to be clear on something. You're in CrowdStrike, aren't you? It's not a, dude, it's not a work from home stock. You need endpoint security on your devices no matter what. It has capital, I don't care if you it, work in an office but, building but, or but in it, your garage. It has capitalized, though, on, on this period that we've, we've been in, right? I mean, 
So, to, to so has Amazon, but that doesn't make it a work from home stock. I understand that. I, I just I disagree with the premise. But how do you disagree with the premise? I mean, you've made the case on this program. CrowdStrike about is not working on a vaccine and is not delivering pizza. It's literally software security. Is Zoom, There's no question, is Zoom Scott, working on a right. vaccine? Are, are they delivering pizza? Is no. Okta doing that? No. Are they doing that? I would make the case. I would make the case that Zoom absolutely um, is probably the most emblematic of every technology stock of work from home. But that doesn't extend to every other cloud software company that's had a good year. So, some are more associated with that trade than others. I'm just making the point that you can own reopen stocks and you can own cloud computing stocks at the same time. And it's preferable to Tarzaning on a vine from one trade into the other back and forth. Sure, but I don't if, think the pendulum is working out for people. If, if Jenny, the next few months are going to be fairly rough, does it matter to what you're, you're going to do in, in the market? As long as you have a long enough time horizon, it just doesn't matter. That you should just buy the reopen stocks because we're eventually going to get there. Hopefully we're going to get there faster than, uh, you know, than, than expectations. And then those stocks are going to work. So these stay-at-home plays, the ones that I read off, doesn't matter. The gains have been great. Time to move on. Well, I think a lot of the time to move on has actually been happening over the last almost four months. And you saw the maximum dispersion between value and growth take place in the very beginning of September. So it's not time now just to buy the, the reopen stocks because they've already been bought a lot of them. And what Josh brought up is a really critical point, which is we're seeing dispersion. We're seeing PayPal and Wells Fargo work, Bank of America. We're seeing that. And you know what that means? That means it's a stock picker's market and that you can continue to sift through the rubble, you can continue to, to mine for gold. There are things out there, so you don't need to use the broad brush strokes anymore and say, ah, the sky's falling, I need to buy work from home stocks. No, you get to actually differentiate now because you can take your time and say, guess what? Zoom's gonna earn $4 in two years from now. That means it's trading at a 100 times multiple. That is more expensive than Amazon, which is by all measures, a much more diversified, stronger company than Zoom. Maybe I'm gonna be thoughtful about Zoom. You don't just pile into that, nor do you just pile into the reopens because a lot of the reopens, like Marriott, which is in our growth portfolio, that's almost flat, or maybe it's even up a smidge on the year at this point. That's already worked. So what you do is you, you get more granular, you get more detailed, and you look for other opportunities, but you get to be a normal investor and a normal portfolio and a normal stock picker again, look, where you do individual research on individual companies. Part of my point, Jenny, mm -hmm. is, is you can't dictate to the market what stocks you think should work. The market's going to dictate to you, at least in the near term because of where we are with cases and other things, which stocks are going to work, and you have to play that game as you're as you're presented no. so if you're getting a rotation I, I if you're going to get a rotation back into so-called stay-at-home stocks why wouldn't you want to ride that wave even if it's albeit for a fairly short period of time why Th this is where i totally agree with Taxes. tiff and you know i love kramer also but i i don't even know how kramer's making that call that you get back into the work from home now because how short must your time frame be and these guys the, the work from homes, the Pelotons, the DocuSigns, the Zooms, they've already moved. They're already at extended valuations. They've paid forward like 20 years of earnings growth. So you don't do that. You don't just pile in. And the market's not dictating based on vaccine stuff anymore. We've all been looking through that. In fact, every single stock that I've added to the portfolio since May, I've looked through the vaccine. I think 
maybe if you're very short term and you want to like react to short term noise, like maybe you play that. But if you have any kind of functional time horizon, it's not. It's just noise. Yeah, but we I know think where we're going. You brought up a good point. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, finish, Jenny. Well, you brought up a really good point before, which is, and I think this is where it's more important. It's not the vaccine news. It's not the rollouts. But you said basically you were talking about the unintended consequences of all of that. That's going to start to show up. And we don't know what those, what the unintended, unintended consequences are. I suspect they're going to come in the form of suppressed growth and maybe creeping inflation. So as those start to show up, that's new news that we'll start to respond to. That's fallout from all that's gone on. That's going to be useful for us as investors to respond to and react to. But that's not what we're talking about no, but in I, this. We're I don't talking think, about stuff we already know. I don't, stuff think, we already looked I don't think Kramer's talking about three years. Um, and he can come out here if, no, he, if he's listening and he, can, and he can tell us himself. Um, but three months is not, a, not an insignificant period of time where you could have a fair amount of volatility in the market. And I think people should be prepared for what may lie ahead and how best to play it, even if your time horizon is five years. It, all the same, the work from home, they've already moved. They already have valuations that are stupefying. They don't make sense, right? Look at the DoorDash IPO from last week. That's a total you know, work from home, stay at home, because everyone in the world's gonna get all their meals delivered. No, that stuff's already worked. It's already been paid for. So then tell me, so now Pete, you start looking for new things. Tell, tell me, Pete, what about Fang? Okay, Fang since September mm -hmm. has done next to nothing. Fits and starts here and there. Right. Since September 1st, Amazon's down 10.5%. Facebook's down 8.5%. Netflix is down 7.5%. Apple's down 65 as is Microsoft. And Alphabet is the lone winner in that space, up 5.5% since mm -hmm. September. So what gets those things working again? You know, I think, Scott, people are just going to realize that what, what everybody's been talking about here, because I, even though you guys probably view me as this short-term guy, because a lot of the options we talk about are short-term, but I'm a long-term guy as well. Apple's my longest holding. I've had it since the early 90s. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different names in my portfolio that I've hold, held for a really long period of time. I think what we're seeing here, though, Scott, is... We, we've got these, everybody was just talking about it, DoorDash and all these various names, and it's great, it's, it's, it's interesting to see, but when you look at these valuations, if there are even valuations to be able to try to determine, it, it's almost impossible. And, and, and I heard the word stupefying, it is. It, it's amazing, but I think what we're gonna see is, after this pause that we've had in these FANG names, I can see the possibility of those names starting to take off, a little bit like what we're seeing to, on some good news today out of a name like Apple. But you know, part of the reason that, 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 that uh, Alphabet has done a little bit better is that was the one that was actually dragging the most. So I think we're seeing something play out that's playing out the right way. Um, and as a matter of fact, as we were talking, as you guys were uh, going back and forth, I was buying more calls than Apple because I'm seeing incredible sums of money going into certain stocks in the FANG. So I think there is a possibility that we start to see FANG move again in the, in the fairly short term in the next month or two, I think starting to get a little bit more money thrown at those various names. I was going to hit you on that. Um, and you actually, I was going to ask you, so you bought more before the program more today, just now, though. and then just now <laughs> yes. you bought even yep. more of Apple. 
Right, I did. I'm loading up. Um, and the reason I'm loading up, Scott, is, you know, the stock position is what it is. It's a stock position, and I've added to it over the years, and I trimmed it a little bit over the years. But, um, you know, the options is a great way to trade around it. And with the implied volatilities where they are in a lot of these various stocks, especially the FANG stocks, because of the fact that they've paused and even pulled back a little bit, has given a great opportunity. We've got very, very low volatility names now, and especially in Apple. And somebody just bought 35000 of the just out, uh, out of the money calls. So, of course, I'm going to jump on that trade because I think they're right. I think what, what I just said to you, I think a lot of these names have some upside after this pause and pullback that they've had for a period of months now, basically. I think there's a lot of money that could go into those names because, let's be honest, they're quality names. They have great balance sheets, all the things that we talk about all the time, but it's true. And, and whether you want to talk about Facebook or Amazon or Apple or Netflix, whatever, um, a lot of these companies really do have potential, I think, for the upside. Yeah, there's a positive report today. I mean, the reason Apple's up today um, is likely due, at right. least in part, to this positive report out of the Nikkei uh, over in Asia about Apple boosting its iPhone production for the first half of, of 2021. Let me do this. Just to tie this judge, conversation judge, up. Judge, can I go? Yeah, well, I wanted to come back to you, oh, at, you can anyway. I, can I go to? Go ahead. Oh, can, can I go back to Door, can I go back to DoorDash? Yeah, you know um, what? Hang on one second. I think hang, that, on, hang on one second, because I, I want to okay. do that next, and I will. I just want to button okay. up what we were talking right. about before, because part of my point, Josh, is I recognize that not every single stock that is considered, let's say, high growth tech is up a lot directly related to stay at home or work remote or work from anywhere or even in the pandemic. But one of the issues that the market's going to have to grapple with, and maybe in some respects it already is, is that that rising tide of the trend as to why those stocks got up lifted an awful lot of boats. And maybe they lifted those boats too high beyond the, pa the, the part where they can stay afloat. And that's the only issue that I bring up, not necessarily specific to a crowd strike and whether it's related to this, that and the other thing. But there was a lot of money flying around to a lot of different stocks in that universe because of total addressable market and whatever other buzzword you want to throw in there. And maybe that's going to be an issue yeah, down the road. I think it will be. I think it will be because you have yeah. a lot of companies who saw an acceleration um, from the from the pandemic that otherwise would have taken years to develop. But then you have this other category of companies where they kind of only thrive to the extent they are in a shutdown or a pandemic. And then when things get back to normal, the stuff they were making money from or gaining new users from um, will actually not just stop accelerating, but will decelerate. So I put the food delivery stuff in that category. I don't think we're that lazy as a society, and I don't think people post-pandemic are going to want to pay those delivery fees. I'd put Peloton there, too. I think a lot of people love their Peloton, but they also love going to classes and to the gym. So as an investor, you don't have to play this game of trying to mentally separate like what's forever and once for 2020. Like You don't have to, but if you are, those are the lines that you're, when you draw that line down the legal pad and you say, What's a 2020 story versus what's just a forever story that got a big boost in 2020? The, I think that's how you, you divide up what those situations are. And I think a lot of people are. And you're starting to see that mm -hmm. in the share prices of even the hottest companies. We, we, we have a great headline guest waiting in the wings, and I want to get to um, that person in just a moment. But first, let's just continue on that note, because, Tiffany, you bought DoorDash on the open right on the first day of trading you got an allocation into airbnb so you are the one most qualified 
to opine on what to do as an investor as it relates to our committee today. W what do you do with those stocks? Are you holding them? Are you looking Scott, to sell them? Are you worried about them? You just gave me a promotion, Scott. Uh, um, so, so first of all, in, in the world that I live in, um, you know, we do have discretion over client accounts, but we also have conversations with clients, and clients were very excited about the DoorDash opportunity. And so, for and so, we did buy a little DoorDash because we were having those conversations with clients, and and they wanted to be in that name. Um, but we do like it long term, right? So again, we are not, um, you know, t to Josh's point, we're not trying to kind of catch the next few weeks or few months of, of, of return here. We do like it over time. And, you know, Josh mentioned, you know, all these food delivery, uh, all these food delivery platforms. Um, and so, you know, if it's Saturday night or if it's Friday night and I'm hanging out at home and I want to order something, and DoorDash is, and DoorDash delivers to, from um, from my favorite restaurant. I'm going to pay the six bucks, and that's me. And I think that's that's a lot of people. And so while they've had accelerated growth during this time, I do think some of that is going to continue, right? So I don't think that there's enough room for, you know, 15 food delivery companies, but I do think some will do well, and they'll continue to do well, right? Um, so again, I think we have to kind of move away from these, you know, again, agreeing with Josh, these kind of back and forth, this is stay at home, this is, this is um, the reopen trade. We have to kind of stay away from that. But, you know, we also have to throw out the old rule book on these valuations. You know, we are in a different time. And even when we come out of this situation, when we get vaccines, um, some things have changed. Um, and what has changed is kind of like this digital transformation where we all know how to do things a different way now. And while I think we'll get back to a little bit of sense of normal, whatever that is, I think it's going to be a new normal. Throw out the old rule book on valuation. Boy, that's going to get people talking, including perhaps our next guest. <laughs> Not totally. <laughs> we'll find out right now. Our featured guest today recently wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal raising concerns about a handful of stocks. John Rogers, the co-CEO and CIO of Ariel Investments, he joins us now. It's good to see you again. It's been a while. Hope you're well. Yeah, great to be back. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much of the prior conversation uh, you heard, but when you look at the market right now, what do you see? Well, I think it really is a tale of two markets. I think in the small and mid-cap value space, there's still an enormous amount of bargains. A lot of companies selling for 30, 40 percent discounts to what we think those businesses are worth. But then the S&P is dominated by the FANG stocks, and they, I think, are extraordinarily expensive. The optimism is just amazing. Everybody's pouring more and more money into indexing. Uh, and so for us, we feel like this feels like the 70s when you had the nifty 50. And of course, that ended badly for those growth stocks and did helped out the value stocks. So that's where we are. We say buy value, buy smaller companies. That's where the opportunities are and avoid those large cap growth names that have gotten to be so expensive. So that leads me back to what Tiffany just said, John, and that is that you have to throw out, these are her words, throw out the old rule book on valuation. So maybe how a John Rogers looks at something today and sees how it's perceived to be so expensive, maybe in the old way of looking at it, sure. But maybe now, given some of the changes in society, and the way things are traded within this market, they're not so expensive after all. Well, as you know, a lot of us old school value investors who have really benefited from Warren Buffett's wisdom, when any time someone says this time it's different, 
uh, it's always a warning flag for us and for me. And so as much as I love my friend uh, Tiffany, <laughs> I think I have a, a different perspective on yeah. this. I would think it's a sign of caution when people are talking that way. So somehow I'm not surprised that was your, your answer. I expected it to be. And, and Tiffany, I'll, I'll bring you right in. Um, you know, let's have a debate. I, I think I mean, I think it's a good debate and a conversation to have on sort of where we are and, and where investors see this market going in the months and if not years ahead. Yes, yeah, so I'm not going to debate John Rogers on valuations <laughs> on CNBC. <laughs> uh, um, so, I mean, come on, like jo John's got John's got a 34 plus year track record. Uh, so I am, you know, just in awe of everything that he does. Uh, so and, and, and let me just kind of kind of frame a little bit more what, what I was saying. I'm not saying, you know, valuations just don't matter anymore. What I'm saying is I do think that we have to consider the time that we're in. Right. So are we, you know, kind of going back to the way things were? I think that's an important question for us to ask ourselves, because when we look at these big names and, and I think that, you know, that we cannot um, kind of like paint these with a broad brush like sectors and, you know, and, and all of these things. Because when we look at these individual names, these individual names um, the major ones that we're talking about have good balance sheets, right? They're innovative. They're they're really um, you know uniquely positioned to take advantage of this environment. But they were positioned to take advantage of this environment way before it happened. So that we look at those metrics, so we we look at you know what types of decisions and thinking that that the management of these companies are doing. So we use those metrics as a long-term indicator of what we think is going to do well. But then look at some of these companies and how much competition they have, right? And so there may be some Sometimes is some overlap, but we like companies, you know, we invest in, in innovation and strong management. We like companies who are first in the space, but really dominate the space, right? We can look at like a Peloton that, you know, Peloton was not the first company to have a bike, right? No. And there are others, right? But Peloton dominates that space, right? Um, and I can go kind of countless others. You know, Lululemon dominates that space. There is no other Lululemon. It's not just about yoga pants. So, it's about a community. So then, then maybe, maybe John, are mm -hmm. things maybe a little more nuanced these days in the, in the way that perhaps we as investors should look at valuation? Well, I think there's a couple things. One is that some of these companies will be long-term survivors, like Apple, you know, done so well over the last 25 years. But when you have a hot industry and a hot sector, often new competitors come in. Often the moats are not that large and fast in the fast-changing technological world that we're living in. So you don't know who the true winners are going to be. Some of these companies will skyrocket, but some of them will go to probably close to zero. I also feel like eventually inflation is going to rear its ugly head, and that's going to cause higher interest rates. A lot of these multiples have been propped up by these historic low rates, mm. but as rates inevitably go higher, P multiples will compress, and I think that will really hurt those high-flying names. So is, is that one of the reasons why, if, if you know, you're looking out, however many months your own personal horizon is, that small caps, for example, even coming off an incredible month of November, best ever for the Russell, is a place you want to look? That's where we're looking. We find the smaller companies are where there are still some real bargains, some hidden gems out there that have not been well-researched, not been well-thought-out, that have been discarded because they're not parts of these major indexes. So the money isn't flowing toward them, and the research isn't flowing toward them. So there are some terrific bargains in the small and mid-cap space. We're working hard to uncover them. You have. I mean, I'd like to go through a few names. I know our viewers love to get names from, from certainly from people like you. Northern Trust, Nielsen, MSG, Madison Square Garden. Well, you know, 
I just start with Madison Square Garden Entertainment. It's probably my favorite stock right now. You know, there's been three Madison Square Garden companies. Uh, Jim Dolan has split the companies into three. But the entertainment one is the one that I'm most enthusiastic about. They actually own Madison Square Garden, the actual garden. They own the real estate surrounding it, and they have the air rights there. Extraordinarily valuable piece of property. Eventually, concerts will come back this summer. Eventually, the sports teams will be coming back with fans as we benefit from the vaccines. But plus, they own, they have the rights to Radio City Music Hall. They own the Chicago Theater here in Chicago. And they have this exciting new entertainment concept called the Sphere that should be opening up in Las Vegas in a couple of years. It's going to be fantastic. It will be followed up by one with, in London. All kinds of great new technology, sound systems that are going to make the experience special. Uh, entertainment special that's really something that I think is going to be a terrific benefit for Madison Square Garden Entertainment. Uh, Nielsen's a longtime favorite. You know, they're the currency that captures the eyeballs. Mm -hmm. Even in this new digital world, they're going to have the technology to be able to keep track of who's watching what show, whether it's on traditional television or whether it's on your phone or whether it's on your iPad or it's being streamed. However, people are receiving that content. Nielsen will continue to be the scorecard and the umpire to make sure that people understand uh, where the eyeballs are so people can advertise effectively and efficiently. And then formerly Northern Trust, you know, has been a long-time iconic business here in Chicago. They have an extraordinary brand, trust with customers, and a relatively new CEO, Mike O'Grady, who's absolutely fantastic. He's put together a new management team and leadership team, and I think they're leading them into really being a 21st century company that's going to thrive in this economy, especially as rates go higher. A place like Northern Trust will really benefit from higher interest rates. I thought one of the things you were going to say about MSG, I mean, you were laying out a nice little list of eventually, you know, people are going to come back. I thought you were going to say eventually the Knicks are going to be good again. Yeah. But maybe you're, maybe you're a Bulls guy because you're up in Chicago. I don't know. Well, those are my two favorite teams, the <laughs> yeah. Bulls and the Knicks. I'm rooting hard for those Knicks. And you know, my old friend Bill Bradley, of course, was a great star there, and my friend Steve Mills was the president of the Knicks and played with me at Princeton, actually. So I'm a, I'm a big Knicks fan, and we're going to come back under Tom Thibodeau's uh, leadership. Let me, let me turn the conversation, if I could, to, to one that you had recently in, a, I think, it might like a virtual um, dinner, if you will, with, with Tiffany. Um, and the kinds of things that, that you talked about sort of beyond – uh, investing in, in the stock market. Tiff, do you want to you take it from here and tell me what your conversation and the crux of that was, was about? I think it's important that we sure. discuss that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so as you mentioned, uh, Scott, I, I am starting, uh, I actually just started my, my own firm um, and it is a diverse owned firm, clearly. Um, and, you know, John Rogers was the first African-American to have uh, a family of mutual funds, um, an asset management company. And so I'd asked John, um, we, we were actually talking one day, we, and he talked about the, um, you know, the fact that he was a first, I'm going to be a first. Um, and we started talking about diversity and, and, and the work that needs to be done and why it's so important. And so um, I said, John, can we have a virtual dinner? And then I said, why don't we just record it? So John and I um, ate pizza. Uh, he was in Chicago, I was in Baltimore. And we talked about you know, what it means in terms of, you know, um, uh, diversity, um, but for people of color, for women, 
um, you know, minorities to start firms, especially in this industry, how hard it is. It's hard for anybody. Mm-hmm. But what is needed to be successful, you know, and and getting your first client to um, growing your practice to, you know, all of these things was just so important. And the the wisdom was just um, amazing from John. It's, so it's so important it what, what you just said, um, John, it's 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 not just about giving minority owned businesses uh, capital. It's giving access to customers. And that's what hit when Tiffany was just saying that about getting that first client or that second client or a, that handful of new clients. That that's the access that needs to come along with the capital, too. I completely agree. I know it's, it, it is important to get capital. And, you know, I was watching earlier this morning when David Solomon was on talking about Goldman Sachs's programs to get capital to 10,000 small businesses. And, and that is important, no doubt about it. But if you really want to grow a large business, you have to have access to customers as well as access to capital. And many of us in the financial services industry who've started our own firms, we fondly remember those early clients. Like for us, it was the city of Chicago and Howard University. They gave us an opportunity. And once we had those early clients, that gave us the confidence to get more clients, and it attracted more clients. So access to customers is critical, and we, that's why we want anchor institutions in our country, whether it's a university or a museum or a hospital or a major corporation, to make sure that they really are doing business with minority-owned companies in everything we do. Because traditionally, they focused on supplier diversity, but as everyone knows, our economy has become more of a professional services, financial services, and technology-based economy. And so we think the term business diversity is better than supplier diversity to signal that we want to have opportunities to do business in everything that we do in this economy, not just in those traditional supply chain areas. And the University of Chicago, I have to give them credit, they're the one to coin that term business diversity, mm-hmm. which I think is really taking off. Well, we hold you in the same high regard that Tiffany does. Just want to make that clear. It's good having you on. Always enjoy the conversation. I know our viewers do as well. Thanks for the stock picks, too. We'll talk to you soon. You have a good holiday season. Thank you. All right. That's John Rogers joining us from Ariel. When we come back, energy stocks are leading the sector gainers this month. The investment committee debating Wells Fargo's big call today on that space. And join CNBC for a special edition of Healthy Returns, the live stream tomorrow. Dr. Anthony Fauci is with us. Operation Warp Speed. Dr. Monsef Slawi is with us, too. You don't want to miss Meg Terrell's conversations with them where they uh, explore the latest on the spread of the virus, the vaccine rollout keeping your business and family safe during this holiday season. You can register now, cnbcevents.com. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Word in the last hour that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has invited congressional leaders from both parties to meet today in an effort to get deals on funding the government and coronavirus relief. Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Schumer hope to be talking with Republicans Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy late this afternoon. 
With preparations well underway, the incoming administration's inauguration committee said today that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be sworn in as usual during a ceremony on the west front of the Capitol. But, quoting, the ceremony's footprint will be extremely limited and the parade that follows will be reimagined, end quote. The committee is urging Americans to stay home and watch on TV. And that is also what organizers of the New Year's Eve celebration in Times Square are saying. This morning, they announced Gloria Gaynor will be there to sing I Will Survive, and the heroes of 2020 will be honored. But the many thousands who usually attend will not be allowed in. Personally, Scott, I will be popping some champagne to kiss this year goodbye. Yeah. You and a lot of other people, but we're hopeful about 21 now, right? Absolutely. All right, Sue. Thank you, mm -hmm. Sue Herrera. Wells Fargo has some very interesting energy calls today. They upgrade ExxonMobil and Occidental Petroleum and downgrade Chevron. It's our call of the day, uh, most especially because we got some good ownership on the desk. Pete, um, ExxonMobil upgraded to overweight. The target goes to 53 from 43. Let's take that one first. And if I, correct me if I'm wrong, Exxon, I think, is a new one of yours, a new buy as of, I don't know, last yep. two, three weeks? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's probably been the last month or so, Scott, but it's fairly recent. But, yeah, I, I like this name, and it's been lagging. And I think that there are things that they need to do, and obviously by this call from Wells Fargo, they're saying the same thing. They need to be a little bit more aggressive. They need to do something with the CapEx, maybe pull back a little bit on that. But they like the company, and we've seen this move in oil where we've gone – in such a rapid pace in just a month from 36 all the way up to 47, Scott. That's been great, and Chevron's really participated. It's outperformed. That's why they're pulling back a little bit there. But the outperformance of Chevron, I think, is, is actually noteworthy because they deserve to be outperforming. They are doing a better job, and Exxon's going to have to catch up. They're going to have to do some of the things that this analyst is talking about for them to actually reach these levels that they're, they're shooting for right now. But the beta of Occidental, those beta names right now, Scott, have been on absolute fire. So I think that's an area we you, you trade it until you start to see something turn. And we have not seen this turn yet in the price of, energy, that, of oil and watching energy move. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean yep. to step on your toes there. Uh, Oxy, I was just no, marveling up 83% in just two months. Okay, uh, Jenny, let's go to you yeah, first with, with Chevron. Pete owns it too, but I want to hear from you. Um, downgraded to equal weight from overweight. The target goes to 105 from 116. And, I mean, this has been a darling. I think Kramer has loved Chevron. Pete has loved Chevron. You've loved Chevron. Is it time to get out of Chevron? It's no, it's been a very recent darling. Even with the downgraded price target, it's still 17% upside. But what I think is really important about this note is that it highlights things broadly, and they relate to all of these companies as well as specifically. So, so what the note says is, the reason they're favorable on energy is because OPEX and CAPEX are coming down and there's a rebalancing of global supply and demand. That's true for Exxon and for Chevron. And then I want to just go back to something that John Rogers said in his note, in, sorry, in his letter to the Wall Street Journal, which, which relates exactly here. He says in this, and I encourage everyone to read what he wrote in the journal last week, what worked over the past decade is unlikely to work over the next. And I think that's true. These guys have lagged, and that's why you see them up 32% quarter to date. They're outpacing everything else. So it's not anything really unique to Chevron or unique to Exxon. It's just that Exxon has lagged, and it's likely to catch up. The fundamentals behind this call apply to all energy companies. Pete, real quick on it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's why I jumped on Exxon because I, we watched it lag. It had been lagging, and I think it's time to make a little uh, catch-up play. So it makes a lot of sense to me. But I'm still holding on to Chevron as well, Scott. Okay, good stuff. Thank you for more on the biggest analyst calls of the day. You can check out the write-up on CNBC Pro. Go to CNBC.com slash pro for that. Stay with us. Pete has his latest trades and unusual activity coming up. And as we go to break, take a look at the S&P sectors today. Only ones in the red. That's Com Services. We're led by utilities today and materials. We're back right after this. S&P's up 32. All right, we're back. Pete, what do you got for me? What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Visual activity. Yeah, I'm going to give you an ETF, which is really rare for me, Scott. I don't like to do that, but this particular size really stood out for me. EEM, the Emerging Markets uh, ETF. When I look at this in the February 52 call, stock is trading, or the ETF rather, is trading right around 50 at the time. They bought 74,000 of these calls for 92 cents, but they did hedge it as well. They sold the 55s against that, but the 52s, those were bought, so they're spreading it off, and uh, it's just a monster trade, so I absolutely had to jump in it. I, I don't like the ETFs as much. They don't move as fast. But the second one I've got for you, I talk about materials. How about tech resources? Now, this name has hit on multiple occasions. I'm in it again. They got the February calls. They're buying the 19s. Stock was trading just under 18. They bought about 5,200 of these for a buck and a quarter, Scott. I love this material space. I think there's still a lot more upside. So I own these, both of these, for the next couple of months. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, Pete. Ask Halftime's coming up next. You can send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. We're back right after this. Have some breaking news. Let's get to Meg Terrell for that. Hi, Meg. Hey, Scott. Well, we've all heard a lot about these antibody drugs that are uh, authorized to uh, treat COVID-19 patients at risk of severe disease. I just got off the phone with Operation Warp Speed's Dr. Monsef Slawi, who told me they've just received new data um, on the usage of these antibody drugs. And he says only 5 to 20 percent of the supply of these drugs is actually being used right now. He says they send out on average about 65,000 doses of these antibody drugs from both Regeneron and Eli Lilly every 
every week. And because of all of the complications around administering these drugs, they just aren't getting used. And he was really disappointed about this, saying that they have the potential to help reduce hospitalizations by as much as 50 to 70 percent, potentially. Um, they are indicated for people who are at risk of severe disease uh, with COVID-19. And some of the complications, Scott, are that these drugs have to be administered uh, very quickly after you get diagnosed within the first few days. And often people just don't feel sick at that point. Um, so really trying to get the awareness out there for people who are in these high-risk categories that these drugs exist and could really help them. Um, he also noted that because they're so difficult to administer, they're IV drugs and have to be given even in that IV setting, um, that that's difficult as well because these are patients who are contagious. And so, you know, getting those uh, sort of situations set up and the infrastructure set up to administer these drugs is a challenge. Uh, one he said that Operation Warp Speed uh, would be willing to try to help with on the state level if they can. Um, but really, just the, a remarkable statistic, 65,000 doses of these antibody drugs from Lilly and Regeneron going out each week, which could really help with this pandemic, only 5 to 20 percent of them are getting used, hmm. Scott. Yeah, an important report. Meg, thanks so much much. Meg Terrell with that news for us. Coming up, the traders are answering your questions. First up, we have a video question for you, Pete. Hi, David from Wheeling, Illinois. Question for one of my ponytail brother Nigerian brothers. Sometimes I'll find a stock I want to put a position, option position on, and the bid offer spreads will be 20, 30 percent or more in and out. Uh, any suggestions you can give me, I'd appreciate. Thanks. Okay, Pete, what do you say? Well, David, I'll tell you what, uh, there is a lot trading in between that bid and the ask, so that would be my first thing. But also, make sure that that, that is the case. Not every option is going to trade the same. Not every stock is going to trade the same in terms of those options. And because of that, you have to know that. So try to work some trades in between. If those work, that's fantastic. If not, don't give up those spreads. It's not worth the trade. So then just walk away and find a new one. All right, Tiffany, a video question for you now. Yep. Hello, this is Caroline from Ottawa, Ontario. I'd like to ask about ticker symbol OTRK on track. Doesn't seem to be going anywhere these days, and I really want to stay along with this stock. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the question. Okay, OTRK, Tiff. Yeah, so you got to think long term, Colleen. I mean, we're 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 not trading for for for, for the next couple of days. I'm a long term investor. I own on track. It's at 58, a little bit above 58 right now. The high was 83. Um, it's up 260 percent for the year. But we think that you know we we love the AI um, um, power behind it, and we hear we think the telehealth is here to stay. Okay, thank so you. Long term play. Okay, all right, Josh. To you, Matt in Chicago, Bristol Myers. What are your thoughts about the stock as a long term investment? I think it's a, I, I think it's okay for long-term investment with a very big caveat. Goldman Sachs um, gave it a conviction buy rating today. They they're basically saying this is the cheapest of all the large-cap pharma stocks at eight times 21 earnings. But there's a reason. 90% of Bristol Myers' current revenue goes off patent by 2030. So now they have to spend the next decade figuring out how to replace that, and if they're very fortunate, outgrow that all those patent expiries. So this is not my type of situation typically, but eight times earnings, 3% dividend yield, um, a lot of optionality. I could see how this stock would work um, for people that are very patient, but um, this is not a buy for, for me. It's not my cup of tea. Okay, Jenny, lastly to you uh, from Beach Living in South Walton Beach, Florida. Interested in high dividend paying stocks, can you ask Jenny 
if she has one that has good coverage and might be able to actually raise the dividend in the future. What do you say, Jenny? Well, I'm going to give you my newest portfolio edition, which we just bought last week, which is SL Green. They're the largest office landlord in New York City, in Manhattan. They have, despite, don't get scared when you hear office landlord in New York City. They have 94% same-store so. occupancy. They're collecting 97% of rates. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's a 6% yield, and they just increased the dividend and issued a special dividend. The dividend's now going to be $3.64 a share. In terms of coverage, they're still going to earn, and they just gave guidance on this last week, too. They should still earn about $6.30, maybe $6.50 a share. So you've got tons of great coverage there. One last thing, which I think is very exciting. The public shares reflect a cap rate, which is the rent divided by the building price, of eight and a quarter percent. Meanwhile, in the private markets, those same buildings are trading at about a four to four and a half percent rate. So you have a huge discount in the public shares. They're still down 40 percent year to date. So you've got the dividend, you've got the coverage, you've got the growth. I think it's a terrific investment right, All right now. That's so green. Thank you for that, Jenny. All right, let's do futures outlook now. Natural gas prices back in the red after briefly turning positive today. Joining us, Brian Stutland of Equity Armor Investments, Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures. Brian, let's begin with you. Where is Nat Gas going from here? Well, I, I think when you look at the supply and demand picture, we're seeing demand up a few percent year over year. We're seeing supply down a few percent. That would suggest prices should be higher from last year. However, I think what happens is every time Nat Gas gets a spike, you see a lot of the nuclear reactors turn on and meet that demand. So there's a lot of back and forth action like we're seeing today here, Scott, you just mentioned. And, you know, I'm more of a buyer if it dips hard and a seller if it rises, you know, and play the back and forth action. You know, unless Bill has some compelling technicals otherwise, I'd play the back and forth action. Okay. What about you, Bill? Well, as soon as the warm weather came in November through December, uh, the market fell back pretty quickly. But I'm noticing here the volatility is, is getting lower and lower. And with prices, you got a little double bottom here at 240. I think that there's good value trying to pick a bottom here with defined risk option spreads. For instance, a 290-320 call spread for February costs you only $600. Then you get the, the ability to play long through this potentially cold winter that has not been priced in yet. All right. Gents, thanks. Appreciate it. Brian and Bill, we'll talk to you again soon. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, rapid fire. Tiff, final trade. Wing stop. Jenny? Mic drop. <laughs> Abby. All right, Pete and then Josh. AMD, Scott. Stewart. Butterfield? <laughs> oh, the company. Yes. All right. <laughs> that does it for us. The exchange is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.